Hi, this is Sarah Tebow. And this is Liz Bernstein, and we are the hosts of the Side Woo Podcast. This is a space to investigate what makes a creative life possible, from the mundane to the sublime, the physical to the metaphysical. Welcome to the Side Woo. Hello, and welcome to episode 18 of the Side Woo. This is co-host Elizabeth Bernstein, and today I'm talking with our very own SideWoo co-host, Sarah Tebow. So, in a very subtle and casual way, and by that I mean neither subtle nor casual, I have been asking Sarah to reveal more about her journey to being an out, medium, and witch. For all of the Drag Race fans, Sarah has taken to calling me Michelle Visage, because a la Michelle's critiques, I keep asking her to reveal more and more about her private self on the podcast. And so this week, she is in the hot seat, and I was so excited to learn more about how she has been fully stepping into her now multi-hyphenated public role as artist, medium, and witch. As an aside, we use in this episode the language of coming out to discuss adopting a public identity, and we just wanted to acknowledge that we are using terminology from the LGBTQIA community, so happy pride, everybody. And without further ado, sit back, relax, let that tray table down, take off your seatbelt, and enjoy the episode. This is an episode where I, Elizabeth, interview Sarah. Hello. Hello. Oh my God, that was so reactive. I'm like, I heard somebody say hello. I had to say it. But you're talking to our audience. I get it. Not to me. Let's try that again. Hi, Sarah. Hi. This is co-host to co-host interview because I've been wanting more reveal from Sarah. Okay, Michelle Massage. <laughs> exactly. I've been wanting more personal story about the woo because you have this very deep entry point into the world of spirits, channeling, mysticism, the dead and the afterlife. And it comes out in little dribs and drabs, but we need yeah. more. To my defense, I think part of the <laughs> reason I haven't brought it up as much is I want to create a platform for others to share their experience. And I don't want to make it about me, but I think making some of it about me is helpful for the audience to know where I'm coming from. So I'm, I'm on board. It took me a sec, but I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. I can be a little pushy when I'm wanting information. <laughs> That's why I said you're Michelle Visage and not. Her yeah. Mom, <laughs> we're both East coasters. With lack of subtlety might come to mind as a description. So Sarah made this incredible list of notes, which also is a nice insight into personality. But the first um, sentence is Sarah comes out as a witch and medium. And I feel like if we discussed no other lines (laughs) on this very (laughs) thorough, beautiful list, what does it mean yeah. to come out as a witch and a medium? And what is a witch and what is a medium? The reason I use that phrasing is I went mid-pandemic, I went to a healer 
who does intuitive readings, energy work, some mediumship. And she was like, oh, you've done some magic. I don't know what she was reading now. I'm guessing it's different layers of my auric field, but she was reading me and being like, oh, you did this, you did that. I think you need to come out as a witch. That's what we call it when someone has strong magical tendencies or who has been working in a magical realm or energetically doing work, but isn't public about it. And so there's this vibe that it's all private. And it, I didn't even really know what she was talking about because I was by myself so much during the pandemic. I didn't take stock of how I was spending my time. I just thought these are things that I'm interested in. And, but then to hear someone say, I see in your energy that you are devoting a lot of time to the spirit realm made me question everything I'd been doing up until that point. You know, I I think everyone's interested in the spirit world. It's just inherently interesting. Ghost stories, scary movies, that is the spirit world in some shape or form. But my parents always said I had like an inclination towards being psychic and honestly, my sister too, where I would repeat things that they were thinking about and say it when I was really young. For example, I was playing with my toys and going, $20, $20. And my mom's like, I freaked out because I was just thinking like, I really need $20 for this thing. But she hadn't said it out loud. Just very tuned in energetically. But then I think that becomes a lot, you know, if you're empathic or sensitive to other people. So when I went to school, you know, and just being around all those people, I think I tried to shut it down because it's just painful to be aware of other people's feelings all the time, which is still a challenge. Which I don't know. I mean, you're pretty empathic, Liz. I am empathic, but it feels very grounded in the body. And so even if it's like a spirit part of the body, it, it's very not controversial in that way. The way it would be more like if I'm tapping into an energetic field. I mean, I think it's just a framework difference. Basically. Well, in, in this case, I didn't know one way or the other. I just was really aware of everyone's feelings. And so that's leading into where it's more natural for me and maybe why I've been picking it up so quickly once I really started getting into it. To me, the spirit world is really about energy. And I think that's why everyone is able to do it because it's tapping into different kinds of energies. And so if you're really empathic and sensitive to other people who are living, you are most likely really energetically sensitive to non-living spirits as well. And you just haven't been trained or you just don't know what it is to recognize that. It's something that everyone has access to, you know, I think I've learned a lot from the energy healers that I've hired to work on me, starting with a Reiki healer that I worked with in Minneapolis, who told me that I had this really intense male energy around me and that they saw my grandma when I was in Mexico and she's hanging around. And so if you're a Reiki healer, but you're seeing ghosts, at what point does that become a medium? You know, and so that's why I realized, oh, actually energy work is fluid. It just depends on what frequencies you're able to read. Earthbound spirits are going to have a lower frequency because of their dimensional location, very lower. Whereas message mediums talk to people who are crossed over and they're going to have a lighter frequency. But just being able to distinguish between these different types of energy and your energy versus someone else's whoever that other person is, those are all things that has come over time. And it's come through Reiki, it's come through meditation, 
is come through taking a class in spirit rescue. Holly, when she first said that to me about coming out as a witch, she's like, you're going to get into energy work. And she didn't say mediumship. She just said, you're going to get into some kind of energy work. And I think you need to come out as a witch. And like, I had been doing energy work on myself and I had been doing rituals and working with different traditions to figure out what it was to work in a ritualistic space and create altars that were impactful and connected with different deities. I didn't really know what I was doing. And so to think that I was actually a witch or anything didn't really make sense. But then looking back, I'm like, oh, well, I guess I've been involved in this for a while. I hadn't thought about it this way before, where if you just have the energy from clenching and unclenching your hands, you've created something. Nobody's going to have like a psychic revelation about me clenching and unclenching, but it's creating some energetic movement. And then you have, you know, Well, hold on. I mean, it's interesting to use that example because I just did a reading with someone where literally I saw that action of someone's hands clenching and unclenching this piece of paper in her energetic field. And then her graduate school project was crumpling up pieces of paper and then putting them in the kiln, like covering them in ceramic slip and then putting in the kiln. So that is potentially connected to something. So you just talked to somebody about that? Last week, I literally talked to a friend of mine who I went to grad school with and people who know her work will know who I'm talking about. You know, I won't say her name, but so her grad work was like making these crumpled clay pieces. And then she even had Jessica Lignadu do a reading of them to figure out the energy from those pieces. But then in this image that I saw of the hands, they turned into these hands of someone in her past life Mm -hmm. who was a caretaker of hers and putting their hands on her shoulders. So it was this really weird transition of these totally disembodied hands, crumpling paper, And then flash forward to what she did in grad school and then flash back again to a past life where she had a caretaker who was grabbing her shoulder. Wow. There was something right now that happened. The concept of clenching and unclenching your hands just came into my head. And that was all of a sudden what made the concept clear to me. And it was like, well, If you create energy from a physical activity, the energy you've created will be part of the world. And then maybe when your body passes away, that energy that is left from you will also be part of the flow of time and energy as it influences who's currently on the planet. But anyway, there was a big aha moment, but it was from the clenching of the hands. Yeah. And I feel like that's connected and maybe Mm -hmm. it was meant to open up this conversation. Also the idea of Reiki, you know, you're constantly using your hands to produce energy and, and depending on how you hold them and where you put them and. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. That's so interesting that you said that. I think you just channeled that one. That was pretty wild. All right. Yeah. What's next. It kind of talked about with Holly, you know, that initial, okay, this is my path. It's okay to be out about it. And what does that look like? Even by the end of that call that we did, I was more focused on financial health and her saying that didn't make me think, well, I'm going to really change my life. It was more like at that time I had this energy around me that was really negative. And the Reiki person had told me very masculine. And at some point in the pandemic around Halloween, you know, 
the veils between the living and the dead is very thin. And so it's a good time to check in with your ancestors or be aware that you might get visitations. And so I put out a ritual and was calling in any visitation that might want to come by. Was this before you worked with Amy? Do you feel like you protected yourself enough? Okay. Literally just going to say no. (laughs) I did not protect myself at all but didn't know that that wasn't right. What I was shown was a friend of mine who has passed. There'd be some kind of interaction, like my laptop case would make this noise if I did something or thoughts that I would have would be responded to with physical noise. And so it was just this whole thing of feeling like, what is this energy that I called in? How do I get rid of it? And then also having a spirit that I potentially picked up from Mexico that my Reiki healer had been like, Yeah, this is following you around. Questions. When you open yourself to spirits coming in to visit, is it more likely that it would be somebody you're related to? Or would it be more likely to be a spirit in distress? I think if you open yourself up and are just like, bam, anybody can come in. Probably the closest thing to you will come in. And then also anything matching your vibration will come in because they'll be drawn to your energy. And when you're a medium or healer, you have a certain vibration that draws in ghosts that need healing. I know that I've done meditations and stuff where I've talked to people who have crossed over. Now I do this like heart chakra meditation that I learned through Amelia, the tarot reader who I would love to have on the show. And I go into this heart space that's very protected and my guides are there. And last Halloween I saw, um, or it was the first of November. I saw my dad, I saw my grandparents, I saw someone I work with his dad because his dad and my dad were friends. What do you mean by saw? Yeah. So it's like if someone's doing a guided meditation with you and they're like picture a beach and a mountain and stairs that you go down on the mountain and that stairway opens into a room and it doesn't explain what the room looks like, but you'll have an image of what that room is. All that visual information that pops up for me, it's very visual. And then when they say, let in your guides, the guides show up in that same type of visual way where, for example, my dad showed up as seventies version of himself. He was very young and had long hair and his earth shoes that he wore in his wedding, a total hippie. And then my grandma and grandpa showed up as themselves. Cause I think they know I wouldn't necessarily recognize them if they were too much. If they were like 25 years old. So it shows up in that same way. I've heard people describe it as a screen where images just show up in front of them. Does it feel to you as real as when you're dreaming and there's no doubt about the reality you're in when you're dreaming? Um, it does in the sense that as I've gotten better at it, I, I understand that it's an image I'm being shown and that I should believe in it. Whereas when I'm dreaming, I I don't have a ton of agency in my dreams. A lot of times there's more of a sense of being trapped. Whereas in these visions, I kind of hold on for dear life and just keep as calm as I can, because it can be scary to be shown things like your dead parent, or I've had past life flashbacks and they're not always pleasant. And so experiencing that and knowing, okay, I'm supposed to hang on and see this, but feeling like at any second, if you lose focus, it could all dissolve Mm -hmm. because 
you're, you have to have a certain level of concentration and mindfulness to be able to hold those and in, that information. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It also sounds like a place where healing could be deeply accelerated. The conversations that you might have in that room seems to exist between this life, the next life, between the body and the spirit. Yeah, I would think so. It felt very comforting knowing that they were in my heart space. And then my mom even showed up. It was late at night and I was complaining to (laughs) my mom's going to hear this. Yeah, she is. But I was like, I was complaining to my dad about something she was doing And then she showed up and goes, Hey guys, I'm here to help too. (laughs) So I think it was like, you know, she left her dream state and came in and was like, no, no, but yeah, I I think so. And then I think in general, you're shown things for the purpose of healing past life flashbacks. I had were mostly bad, but then they were about a life that I had with my dad. And this was before my dad passed. And so I didn't know that my dad was going to die necessarily, but I thought this is information that's meant to heal our relationship because I'm learning what I did in a past life that maybe contributed to this tension that I've always felt with him. And maybe explains some of the karma around what our dynamic is at, at that time. I would love for you to talk about what your dynamic was when he was on earth. So my dad and I like were really close when I was younger and he had a very big personality. I joke that there's like a saying in the music industry called LSD, lead singer's disease. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was a band guy for a long time and he was the lead singer always and just had that desire to be at center stage at all times. So for a while we got along really well. But then when I started going my own way, I think that's when the tension started happening and I felt not allowed to grow and do my own thing. And so then that began our ego battles. And I felt like he wasn't witnessing my growth and he wasn't encouraging of what I was doing in his Minnesotan way. So the past life that I experienced was kind of this intense flashback where I was a woman and I was in a mountainous town. I was in a field and I had this feeling that it was early 1900s, like late 1800s. And I was in this field and I had a baby with me and I had this vision of these men on horseback chasing me down. And then one of them came and pulled a baby out of my hands and like went off. And I just like it wrenched me even just the small amount of time that it took to show this vision. I felt my heart just being ripped out of my chest, the anguish of that, you know? And so I was like, well, what the fuck was that? (laughs) Because obviously I don't have a child. So then as I sat there, I got information that as a result of this, I got into a lot of self-destructive behavior and I had my dad as a child. He was my daughter. And I don't know if he was like a first daughter and that baby was a second daughter or what happened, but that I was not a good mom from there on out and that I just Mm. abandoned him and went towards men that didn't treat me well and just made a lot of self-destructive choices. So I was like, okay, it took me a while to feel like, is this a past life? And then I had a friend who lives in Iceland and she has a lot of dreams that are medium dreams. And she messaged me about a dream where my ancestors from that life 
came and said, we are here for her. It's a lot to unpack, but yes, basically she was corroborating this past life vision that I had. And I was like, oh, okay. That and a couple other things just made me feel like that was the last time I was going to see him. Before he passed. You yeah, felt that. exactly. That was the last time you were going to see him. I, I didn't know exactly like how long I would have. It just felt significant, but I think that's getting off topic a little bit. We were just circling around how the past past life dynamics with your dad was kind of like a mirror of your dynamics before he passed. So just the idea of each lifetime as an opportunity for moving through the things that block you. Yeah. Right before I went to see him in Tucson, I had this dream. I was in a pretty dark place by the time I saw them because it had been you know, nine months of being back in the States and mostly isolating, sheltering in place. But I had this dream of looking in the mirror and seeing my dad, my grandma and grandpa in their eyes glowing amber green because we all have that same color eyes. And they were lit from behind. They were so bright. At that time, when I look in the mirror, I just felt like my energy was so dull. And I I felt like, okay, they're telling me that's supposed to be the energy I bring to myself and relight my own energy. Then when I was in Tucson, I just had this feeling I was supposed to ask my dad about some past stories of his to really understand his career and just make sure I knew his story. And so when we were sitting down for dinner, I just made sure to ask him about all this stuff. And while he was sitting there, his eyes just started glowing green. And I just felt like, you know, it's something I needed to do and just that it was special. Again, I didn't know that he was going to die, but it definitely felt like there was some part of me that thought maybe the last time I'm going to see him. And yeah, it just felt like in that moment, we were yeah. resolved almost, you know, even if he had lived and we would continue on, it just felt like healing was happening and a chapter closing. And so whatever would have happened after that, I don't know, but it did feel like there was some major resolution happening. Without simplifying it, it sounds like your interest in energy is what allowed you to find an entry point. Yeah, I think so. And studying to, or not even studying at that point, practicing, believing imagery and interpreting imagery that's shown to me in meditations because there is so much trust and inner self-knowing that you have to have when you have those types of imagery come across your screen because you're like am I totally nuts was that what I think it was and the only person that can answer that is you which is why it's so hard and same with talking to ghosts you know when I started doing these group circles where we all had homework to go look at someone's energy or do practice on yourself. The best thing that could happen is if you said to this group, something terribly scary, like I'm probably insane, but this is what I saw. And then someone else in the group is like, I saw that too. And you're like, oh, okay. So, and you can continue to trust your feedback versus if no one else saw it, you would have no other confirmation that what you saw wasn't just like random anxiety or something you made up because of your ego. I think that's a really important distinction between 
all the things we're talking about now and how yeah. mental illness manifests. So I'm on this drug called Lamictal and it's um, a mood stabilizer. It's not an SSRI, but it stabilizes your mood. And I have bipolar two, which is different than bipolar one. So there's no psychosis, Yeah. but I'm on a cocktail of meds that keep me fairly um, stable. Yeah. And there was one weekend about 10 years ago before I understood that you can't mess around. You really can't wait a day on certain meds. Anyway, here's the point is that I went off accidentally my Lamictal for like three days. And by the third day, I was starting to get pressured speech in my mind. I remember walking to a hardware store and I was like, oh, what happens if everybody's just wearing a human mask? And then if they took off their human mask, are they going to have a demon mask underneath? And that would be really scary because this talk that that doesn't sound like me. Then I was looking at street signs and be like, oh, that's such a coincidence that that street sign is up there. It was like this pattern of speech that I really identified very quickly as, uh oh, something is off. So with my psychiatrist and she was like, you were having a reaction to the drug and that is like baby psychosis. And the questions that she was asking was basically, do you see coincidences in the world? Do you see patterns? Do you see signs and think that they are talking to you personally? I think that's important to bring up because that is the barrier to connecting with spirit in a lot of ways. For me, that has always been the challenge is, is this real? You were saying those are the things that show you spirit is real, but having had just a tiny bit of psychosis because of a drug withdrawal, I thought it was fascinating that the questions she asked were literally all the things that we talk about when you're communicating with the energetic world, you know, coincidences and signs, you know, I like to pay attention to numerology and definitely, of course, in miracle style, when things happen in a miraculous way, they come together and it's like, I can't believe that. But I think when you start to learn about this stuff, you're excited for it to happen all the time because it's validation that you're doing a good job or something. I don't know. For me, it's like, am I on the right path? Please tell me all the time. But then I catch myself, is that license plate? Is that like a, a sign? It says like three numbers in a row. Literally, my guides had me listen to something, you know, at 4.44 so that I would pay attention and be like, not everything is a sign. And consciously, I know that, but there is the impulse once you start on that path of wanting the validation from your guides all the time. But I think it was really good for me to hear that they are not around you all the time. So you need to give yourself your own internal validation since ultimately as you go and you do medium work or energy work, you're the only person who can know the difference. So I think that's such a good point. You just want to apply the thing that you're learning to everything. And that's not necessarily true. (laughs) So not everything is about you. And I don't mean just you, but like literally not everything is about you Exactly. when you're in any world, when you're in the spiritual world, when you're at work and we are participating in the energetic and real life experiences of all the people around us. Also, it is all personalized to you because you're the lens. Yeah. But then, yeah, it's both all about you and also none of it is about you. A <laughs> hundred, which is, yes, yes. 
Yes, yes, yes. All about you and not about you all at the same time. (laughs) In eating disorder recovery, what people say is like, it's all about the food. It's not about the food. You can't have one without the other. And it's a hundred percent one, but it's also a hundred percent the other. It's not about your ego, but it is about you in the stories you're describing. What is the you part? How are you defining the you (laughs) in this? Is it like your, your past life you, or is it like your future life you, or like your current you? I think it's like the eternal soul me who's embodying different physical forms. That covers a lot of ground. It really does. (laughs) Oh yeah. Crack that baby open. Something so satisfying about the LaCroix sound. And I think it's a Minnesota drink, right? Um, I think they're from there. Yeah. I grew up with LaCroix for sure. And actually for a long time, I didn't like sparkling water, but now I love it. Yeah. My dentist just told me it's causing like so much tooth decay. And bone issues. It's pH balance. It just attacks your body. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, it's no bueno. (laughs) I say, as I open my. You do a promo (laughs) shot. Exactly. (laughs) Delicious. Pomplamoose. I know that's not how you say it. No, that is actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. What is the most vulnerable of these ways of connecting to the energetic world that you are the most hesitant to talk to other people about because you feel like it would have to be defended or explained in a way that would feel like either an attack or be so outside of the mainstream that it feels too vulnerable and revelatory to tell people about. When I first started studying mediumship back in like October of 2021, anyone I would tell about, I would pull them aside and say, I have something to tell you that I've been doing, but I really don't want to talk about it here. And then I would make sure we were not around other people. And then I'd be like, so... I'm starting to work in mediumship. I was horrified that anyone that I didn't want to know about it would hear that I was talking about that. And I had to have like a coming out conversation with my mom. And my mom definitely took some time before she was comfortable with it, but now watches Tyler Henry and Netflix and feels like she totally gets it. Mm -hmm. So I say thank you, Tyler Henry, for making it accessible to women everywhere over a certain age. Yeah, that is the Tyler Henry um, <laughs> like <niche>. demographic. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I've really come a long way. Basically, I created this podcast so I could have a context in which I felt safe talking about this kind of stuff. I didn't feel comfortable without creating a community first. And that's just my over the top controlling Scorpio self. But also, I think, you know, it's important to have more context for this subject. But um Yeah, all that is to say my level of comfort has shifted from being able to talk about visions that I have, the past life stuff. I'm okay with talking about that now. I think the thing that needs to be unpacked a little further, perhaps with more experts before I get into it too much, is soul contracts. In my past lives, I've recently found out that I would draw the same person into my life over and over again. I can only guess that it's about creating boundaries and valuing myself enough to not bring that person into my life again. We bring in energies from past lives. 
potentially even part of a person's soul from that life and can, can often carry that in our own energetic field. So for example, I do have a part of that person from past life in my energetic field. It's something that brought me to all these healers. I was like, I sense that I have this bad energy around me. Can you help me get rid of it? And I, I talked to like multiple people and after their sessions, a day or two later, everything that I was experiencing is still going on. I still feel this intense energy field around me. I feel like I'm having the same bad dreams. I'm still having a lot of ghost interference. And so knowing that led me to thinking about it in a different way. I actually got a tarot reading from Nikki Nolan, who was the first guest on the side woo. And she pulled this card that was about the archetype of the wounded healer who uses the wounds that they have to help others. And it's a self-sacrificing gesture. And that was my card for the moon. It was a full moon. And I was thinking about that specific thing at the time. And I was like, okay, so if I am supposed to use what's bothering me to heal others, what does that look like? And then, so I started thinking, if I do have like a ghost around me, I didn't really know that much about it. Maybe I'm not supposed to like throw it out like trash and instead I'm supposed to help it. And so I started Googling, how do you help ghosts cross over and found some like goop article about helping ghosts cross over and I tried it and it didn't work. So then I kept researching and that's how I found Amy because she was one of the few people who do professional spirit rescue. And this kind of segues into the turning point, I would say committing myself more into this type of energy work which is basically coming to Amy's rescue mediumship monthly circle. And it was like just a really casual group. I had messaged her to do an energy session and she was moving across the country and so wasn't available. And she's like, oh, just come to the class. And I I was kind of worried because I had written this super long email about what was going on with me and the other healers that I talked to, what they had said. And she just responded very briefly oh, just come to the class. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I just dumped all this personal information on her. I was just like, okay, I'm going to go to this class, just see what it's like. I'm going to sit there quietly. So I sit there for an hour and a half and all the people in her class are already practicing spirit rescue and talking about all these wild experiences, like going to graveyards and doing house cleanings and working with different angel guides and having a clearing stone in their house. And I'm like, what is happening? You know, and they look like your nice next door neighbor. They're so wholesome and normal looking. You know, this is delightfully surprising. And then we get to the end of the class and Amy is like, okay, well now we're going to do a practice session. Does anyone have any ghosts that they brought in with them? And she goes, Sarah, I see that you have a few ghosts on you. And I was like, oh, what? Hi. And then everybody turned their attention to me and she's like, yeah, we see you have two, three, okay, maybe four ghosts around you right now. And, and is that a lot for people? It's a good amount to have in your auric field. So what happened over the next half an hour is that everyone kind of channeled into my energy, which you can do remotely and started reading my auric field. So two of them were had found me and jumped into my auric field when I was like 11. One was from Minnesota and then one I had met in Maryland. They worked with these ghosts to get them to cross over. And 
I was trying to tap in, but at that point I was too green to really do any energy work around it and just so overwhelmed. So it was a younger man and then an older man who were the two ghosts that had been hanging around me. And the younger one, before he crossed over through Amy was like, thank you for holding space. And it came up that he really liked cats. And so that might've partially influenced my love of cats. (laughs) And he was wearing a Metallica t-shirt and just, I don't know, that would make me laugh, but he goes, thank you. And you know, you don't have to cry anymore. And that's Mm -hmm. what Amy told me. And she goes, oh, well, what's going on, you know, that you're crying. And I'm like, oh, well, my dad just died. Yeah. And so then at that point she goes, oh, okay. And then she kind of like sits back in her chair and tilts her head and kind of is receiving downloads (laughs) from the universe and goes, oh, is he, seems like, is he like a fun guy? It seems like he's at a party. (laughs) Wow. I was like, that sounds like my dad. (laughs) He's like Mr. Social. So she, she called him my dad and my dad was talking through her. He just kind of was like saying hi. And then he goes, you know, if I were still alive, I would have thought this was completely unbelievable. But he's like, you know, obviously it's very real. And I go, oh, really? And I was talking to Amy through him and I'm like, well, tell him that I always used to say, oh, that was grandma and grandpa saying hi, or, you know, just things would happen that I would sense that grandma and grandpa were influencing it. And he goes, oh yeah, I was just going along with that to be nice. And so it just felt funny, but also validating. He goes, yeah, well, you know, definitely pay attention in this class because, you know, you will be teaching it someday. And I just thought, what the hell is happening? And meanwhile, I'm surrounded by 25 people that I don't know who have just met me and just found out a ton of personal information about me. That was my introduction and the sign that this was going to be more of a life commitment than I had anticipated. I mean, I think there's a lot to, there's a lot to unpack. Dad being channeled and you being able to talk with him at the same time as having ghosts that have been following you around for 25 years, all in one 45 minute class. But you got to have that experience without having to convince anybody you were with. And every world you go into anything, when you're around the people who are in it, you can have a level of openness that you can't have outside of it. I mean, the art world, a hundred thousand percent, like the baseline knowledge and education isn't there. And then you don't have to jump through the steps of convincing people the validity of what is happening. Yeah. So that 45 minutes, you were in a space where it was all matter of fact. So you got to go through 25 steps of of evolution. That's such a good point. And like Amy, in order to get information and maybe to gauge where I was at emotionally with all of it, asked me some really personal questions about some traumatic stuff that I had gone through when I was younger, that was the impetus for my energy shifting to the point where I would attract these ghosts. And I had to talk about it in a way that was not only healed, but like, as if it were in my rear view mirror, so I could explain it to a group of strangers. And up until that point, I don't know that I had really gotten that healed with all that that had happened. And so I was forced to heal and articulate a major trauma in my life. I was forced to 
expose myself to people reading my energy and pointing out that I had ghosts in it. I had people know my relationship with my dad, you know, I was so exposed, but I just couldn't stop laughing because it just was so safe too. And I think it's because you're right. It was around people who already felt like, oh yeah, I've been through this like 3 million Mm -hmm. times. I guess just even talking about it, I hope that everyone can have that moment. If you at all feel shy about your engagement with the spirit world, that you meet someone who makes you feel seen because it is so real and, but it is a, like one of the easiest way to feel judged. Like you're just making it up. People will just judge and dismiss. Or not really want to engage. They're like, I don't really know how to deal with what you just told me. (laughs) I have a couple of questions and comments about things that have been brought up. It's become more accepted recently that if you are part of a group that has undergone a lot of generational trauma, that you carry that trauma in your DNA. And like, if, so if, if your history has gone through slavery or the Holocaust, that damage is actually embedded in you and can influence your, you know, fight and flight response can influence how you build new memories can influence everything in some ways. That's another way of saying past lives and I actually think they're different. Oh, interesting. I think they both exist because I think one is passed through your DNA physically, whatever lineage you come from physically. I come from Italians and Germans and a little bit of French. You know, I think there is trauma from that part of my family, but then the past lives that I have been shown and talked about, those are from different backgrounds. Mm. I'm dealing with that energy as well as the physical trauma that has been passed Mm. through my gene pool. And I can only speak to my experience, but I honestly think it's more complex than just your physical lineage. I think it's also past lives, which a lot of past lives happen outside of your current family, you know? The three past lives, I was in the Wild West for one of them. I was in the north of France for one of them. And then apparently I was in like the eastern kind of seaboard area, wow. like Pennsylvania well, or something. And I don't think that there was any family connection there. Of course, in my brain, I've been thinking about our past lives as like Jewish me in New York, yeah. just different iterations of who I am yeah. now. Yeah. I'm thinking about myself backwards as still myself. It's not limited. Of course it's not. Right. To learn everything, you have to embody different bodies. I've been a woman for a couple past lives. And a lot of people think past lives actually are like simultaneous lives that are just happening all of the same because time doesn't exist on the other side. <laughs> so you may choose to be Jewish for multiple lifetimes as a way to work out certain issues or heal, but it's not required. Wow. Okay. That, you know, you don't love to get someone on who really knows about this stuff because I am like baby learning. (laughs) It's an interesting moment to point out the depth of assumptions and what you go into something not knowing that you're already walking into the conversation with a very limited space for how to understand something. When you do think about your inherited trauma, yes, it's real. And then, you know, like 
be open to everyone having it because you don't know what someone experienced in a past life. You just don't know what people have been through and that they're carrying with them in their energetic body, not even their physical body. And a lot of our past lives are not ending well. I mean, that's just like the bottom line, especially if you look at the history of the world (laughs) up until now. No, no. Things are (laughs) great. Things are not. Things are grim, you know? (laughs) I was having a pretty cataclysmic conversation this morning about where we're headed. And I I don't want to go into it too much because it was a real, it was a real bummer, but yeah, let's try to turn the ship around. (laughs) Let's turn the ship around. Okay. I am excited to go back through this zoom session that we're having right now, because when you were talking about your um, grandma and your dad having glowing eyes. We got a lot of sound interference. Oh, interesting. This is my woo-woo, is it crazy, is it real moment. This happened with Amy where we had major interference when we started our call. There's certain energies that don't want you to say certain things. Not all spirits around you are helpful. So there will be spirits around you that are going to try to keep you the same. And it may be because they are being protective, but... So for example, like me sharing that story, but it, you know, it didn't sound to me like interference in a way that it was trying to block the story. Oh, really? Oh, like it actually sounded, it was almost, um, sounded like we went underwater for a minute, Oh, but we'll go back and find that audio. Have you ever done EMDR? I have. Yes. Okay. Because the way you've described creating a room where you can see feels very similar to the way when you're doing EMDR and you go into an internal metaphysical space to do healing in a different way. That's why I asked if it was a place where healing happened. Does that feel right to you? It does. The principle behind EMDR is that it activates both sides of the brain. And then keeps flipping back and forth to deactivate the emotional piece, the emotional connection to whatever trauma that you've experienced. And I think that probably visualization exercises do that same thing. I started reading a book called Zen, the brain, and then there's Buddha's brain, which actually my, one of my life coach I worked with for a long time, her husband co-wrote where they talk about that way that meditation and like metaphysical work shifts your brain chemistry. Um, So yeah, that sounds right to me. I don't have any evidence around it, but I think going into going into these energetic spaces, you can't use your mind. It's your mind that causes the problems, right? So it forces the mind to the side, not like you're scolding it, but it engages you. I was having at that point trouble staying present in my heart room. And I remember in that room, my dad and grandma and grandpa saying, if you're nervous, drink tea. And I imagined some tea there in the room. And then they're like, and eat cheese. And there were like cubes of cheese for me to eat in my heart room. And I'm like, yes, I do love cheese. But yeah, so I felt like it was like, okay, I I do... Like it's something that you develop with mindfulness to be able to stay in those types of spaces, which EMDR is a little bit about building mindfulness too. But yeah, I'd be curious to know more about any connection. Or what spiritual experiences people have had while doing EMDR. Yeah, yeah. It seems like a physical way of getting into metaphysical mindset. Yeah, that makes sense. Because it's kind of ritualistic. You're doing the same thing over Mm -hmm. and over and it's a way to occupy that part of yourself. 
that would mm-hmm. be nervous if you were just sitting there. I remember doing this one session where we were working on stuff about my dad. I just kept picturing him in a field and then, you know, a big cloche that your dinner in hotels. Oh yeah. Like when you lift that thing, he'd be in a field and I would put a big hotel dinner cloche over him to physically create a boundary for him, putting the cloche over and over in this like EMDR half awake, half asleep space. That's definitely more of a vision than I ever had doing EMDR. Yeah, it it was full visuals where I was almost like watching and it was very dreamlike. So the last thing I have is storytelling. This is a fascinating idea that to create safety, you put it into the context of storytelling where you're bringing the story to outside ears because when you bring things to people as lived experiences in real time, boy, can you get judgment. And if you are threatening people, it comes down like a ton of bricks. But when you bring it to them as a narrative, oh, somebody from Tinder just called me. Hello. But when you, when you bring it to them as a narrative, it changes the way it's received. Yeah. I'm not totally following, but Can I give you an an example of what I was thinking about? Please, absolutely. So when I was 35, I decided to freeze my eggs. Has anything normal happened in my life? I don't think so. But I decided to freeze my eggs and fertilize them into embryos. I was single and I knew I wanted a kid, but you know, time, tick, tick, tick. So I got donor sperm and I put them into deep freeze. Okay. And then I decided to thaw one out and lo and behold, I have a boo-boo who is now seven years old. Anyway, the point is when I told people in real time that I was single and fairly newly soberish and that I was going to put embryos that were from donor sperm into deep freeze. They, I would not say that everybody was excited about what I was saying. Yeah. And then when I decided to actually do it, there was a lot of pushback, yeah. but in narrative form, when I say I decided to freeze the embryos. And then when I was ready, I decided to become a mom on my own terms. And I live in this extended yeah. community with my best friend and her wife and their two boys. Yeah. So in narrative form, it's a very empowering story. But yes. in real time, when I was bringing it to people, people were much less excited about it. Well, and you're not done with the story if you're freezing your eggs. Yes. You haven't gotten to the point where it's working out. So you had to see it through yes. to the end without yes. the positive feedback. But also I would say, man, how the world has changed. The world has changed. I don't know if it's more acceptable now to do that. It probably is. Everything's more yeah, acceptable right? now. But I feel like it, it mirrors what you're talking about bringing your being a medium, being a witch to the public through a um, looking back narrative versus bringing it to people in real time and how much that can protect you. Yeah. I mean, not that I don't anticipate people to not be fully on board, but I did feel like I want to control the narrative. And it's something that I actually learned in grad school where I was making all this work and did not enjoy the conversations that was being had about the work. 
And it made me think that's really what it's about. Are the conversations reflecting what you're presenting? And if they're not, and you've already tried to figure that out, maybe what you're presenting isn't the right thing, you know? And so in the case of my art, I totally switched gears and made different art because I didn't want to talk about the thing anymore. But in this case, I just knew I don't want to give people a way in before I've gotten to a point where I understand what I'm doing. I need to know what path I'm on before I give people a chance to question it. Because now if people are like, ah, oh, that's weird. Well, that's fine. You don't have to believe it. I'm cool with it. I get that it's a hard ask for some people, but I also think part of why I'm doing it is because everyone can do it. And I think everyone should have access to the spirit world, even if it's low level, you know, now that I know that I feel like there's more of a grounding with that information. And yeah. And I think knowing the arc of my story, I'm not saying I'm at the end of my journey, but I think is important for me. It's like, it's like the story you tell yourself, you know, about you and knowing what that is before you then share it to other people seems important in this case. It's also important to know that sometimes it's the best thing you can do is be like, well, I'm packing up and moving this conversation elsewhere. And there's not a lot for me to learn. That's an interesting point about how and when to bring things that are vulnerable truths to the outside world and how to protect yourself by revealing them to the right people at the right time, which is different than yeah. hiding who you tell your story to. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously you one can do that to the wrong people and it's toxic. Even something as small as wanting to work on some cool new project, you know, if you you get an idea, baby that you're really excited about and you tell the wrong person, you are just so vulnerable when you start something new and whatever it is, it's really important to first find your people and then, or create a community of your people (laughs) and a media company. I always thought that the thing you had to do was bring your idea when it was as nascent as possible and then be tough enough to deal with it being slammed over and over again. And I thought that was strength where you just can handle anybody saying anything. I don't think that's the best way because now I don't make art anymore, you know, like. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think that there is strength to that and there are certain personalities maybe that are totally fine with that. That is kind of the art school model, right? You don't, you don't have the space to be like, I'm going to tell a couple people what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. You have two years to get shit on by as many people as possible. Line them up. But no, I just thinking about how to reveal vulnerable things. It's like a very interesting. Oh, I love that. That's a really, I feel like that's a good point of interest as we continue to talk to people. Anything that you have not touched on in terms of what has brought you to where you are now? No, I think this is just a good starting point. And I by no means want to portray myself as an expert. I am still very much learning as much as anyone. So I just wanted to put that out there. But I do think before I start adding in with my own two cents, I thought it'd be important to share with our audience what my background is in this and why I think I can weigh in on things. (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, I'm open to answering any listener questions. For now, this is good. Yeah. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Sarah. Not quite, sweetie. That's all for this week's episode. Thanks for side-wooing with us. We release episodes every other week on Thursday. 
You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast for good karma points. Until we meet again in the woo.